Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Spanners-Ready, and I'm joined by Matt Two Rumpets. Good afternoon, Matt. And good evening to you, Spanners, as we once again are chronologically correct in our greetings to each other. Yeah, man, no race this week as well, so a more relaxed new show, a more relaxed pace. Yeah, well, I mean, relaxed, I don't know, because all of the news that has been fit to cover has been pretty much ignored because of all of the racing all in a row. And this is where you come to life. It's like, yeah, did you know there was a technical agreement between Ineos and the rear wing of the Toro Rosso in 1472? Nah, we're going to talk about the fact that Zach Brown's team won (laughs) Le Mans in the P2, and we're going to talk about flax fiber cockpits for Formula One teams. At the end. And Le Mans may get a mention near the end, but no race this week, Matt. So I did my typical thing of coming home from my radio show and saying, I'm just going to have a little nap. Three and a half hours later, I awoke ready to do Missed Apex. So I'm I'm feeling very relaxed. Can it be a nap if it's that long? It's a nap. It counts as a nap. I'm happy to call it a mega nap, but it's certainly a nap. But no time for us to nap on this show just because there's there's no race. This is essentially, Matt, our mid-season review. It feels odd because it's, you know, late September. It's the 20th of September um, and the races have been coming thick and fast and we've not really known uh, what races are coming. But I think we have a good idea of how the F1 calendar is going to shake out. I I would say that this is mid-season. Well, I think it is exactly because I believe we're on for an 18 total races and I think we've just had the The ninth ninth or 10th. Ninth, I think. Um, But who would have predicted we'd have gotten that many races in? Like, yeah. you know, even even four months ago, it's been a roller coaster. Let me just take a quick pause to tell you that we are an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed with the kind permission of our better halves. 
we aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. You guys don't want to just hear me and Matt prattling on, do you? So let's bring in former journalist and current journalism lecturer, Jules Sagus. Hey, Jules. Espenas, good evening. It's, uh, we've uh, continued our European theme. You're not just to- we don't just have a token mainland European person, because <laughs> we had Christian last week and Jules uh, this week. Uh, but where are you joining us from, Jules? I'm joining you guys from uh, the Netherlands, south of Netherlands, uh, to be uh, specific. And um, yeah, well, looking forward to the show. Fantastic. And we're also joined by uh, video producer, director and writer, Steve Amy, joining us from Australia. G'day, Steve. Well, g'day, Spanners. G'day, everybody. How you all going? And Alfie, those of you who appreciate the, the video version, uh, two shout outs to Steve. Not only do you wake up at about five o'clock in the morning to come and make sure I'm not <laughs> being really, really stupid uh, on the show, uh, but you also, from our point of view, we go to bed and then the video magically appears in an edited form when we wake up. You're, you're, like, you're like the Santa of Missed Apex videos. Well, yes, that's quite true, but that's the, the only decent use for time zones that I've ever found in my life. <laughs> they really ruin our life, but it works in our favour this, in this instance. Uh, it, you know, it's strange because Brits and Aussies have always been kind of, you know, cousins, um, in a way, we feel that kind of infinity where you can really insult like your brother or your cousin. Uh, but if anyone else gets at them, we'll, we'll get quite upset. You know, the ashes being one of those <laughs> things. Uh, but it's, it's so hard normally to communicate when there's that sort of 12 hour difference. Uh, but for Miss Apex, it's worked out wonderfully. Yeah, it's, I've got to say, it's. Uh, I was surprised at how well it worked. When we started this out, I thought, oh, dear, this is going to be very difficult. And there are times, I mean, there is there is only a, a window of about two or three hours per day that we're up at the same time. Yes. So if we've got things to say to yeah. each other, we've got to make certain we say them then, otherwise it's useless. Yeah, and one of us is always drunk, so that, that never helps. <laughs> one of us has just woken up and the other one's drunk. Uh, brilliant, that is your... <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> that is your panel for today. Look at this global panel from America. Matt, two rumpets from the Netherlands, Jules Sagas, and from Australia, we have Steve Amy. Of course, I'm your host, Richard Spanners Ready, and I'm sitting in a little blue bed, a bed, a little blue shed in Bedfordshire, ready to bring you the Big Dirty News. Big Dirty News. Did I just say that I'm coming to you from a little blue bed? It's got, I've spent so much of today in bed, Matt, that, that you know. Makes sense. Yeah, although mm. I, I have to say, perhaps in your honour, they should rename it Shedfordshire. Shed, that's it. So I'm coming to you from a bed in Shedfordshire. There we go. See, told you the new shows were a little bit different. Before we get too relaxed, Matt, what's our first item on the news docket? Well, uh, there's been a lot of talk about Renault. They have been doing very well. One might say they have a renaissance. Yeah. Given their performance. With, and they've also had quite a renaissance as well. And as a result, everybody's favorite and not the least bit polarizing world, ex-world champion driver, Fernando Alonso, now suddenly feels like he might want to put in an effort next year when he joins <laughs> the team because yeah. it turns out he might actually get a podium out of it. Yeah, so that's an interesting decision uh, for, for, for Renault. They've obviously gone for that kind of big ticket a big ticket, big personality uh, driver to come in. And I think I said at the time when it was announced 
that that kind of felt like, and, and this is from, from no inside knowledge or rumours or anything, it felt like the move of, um, you know, like a CEO trying to make a point. So it was either a beatable saying, hey, no, guys, the F1 part of the company really has ambition. Look, we've got Alonso or somebody fighting for the F1 group within in Renault. Oh, but now it's it's a reality. 39-year-old Fernando Alonso is coming back to is coming back to Formula One. He'll be here next year. Uh, what's your thoughts on that, Jules? Um, uh, every time I, I read about Alonso, I, I tend to skip the, 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 the item because I'm, I'm, I was more uh, enthused by the news Renault is turning into Alpine next year than Alonso returning. It's, it's been, it's, he's, 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 he's passed it. We're, we're, we're over you, Fernando. Oh, that is fighting talk. Um, emails to jewelsagus at gmail.com. I don't know. Uh, exactly. I, so I, I'm, I'm kind of a, a Alonso fan deep down. I certainly was at the time. Um, he's sort of morphed into not a cartoon villain, but a, a caricature uh, over the years. I think that, that period at, um, at McLaren where he was understandably upset, there was kind of a mismatch, I think, Jules, between... Uh, his ego still saying, I'm a world champion, I'm pushing forward, and everybody else increasingly losing hope in that or just assuming that it wasn't going to happen anymore. And he, I, I think he sort of somehow unfairly became this F1 bad guy. And I'm not... Oh, God, I'm going to get yelled at. I'm not sure he's quite the bad guy that you're making out now. I'm not saying, I'm not saying he's a bad guy. I do think he uh, had a sense of entitlement Um in uh, even his Ferrari days, uh, it was like Ferrari didn't deliver him the car that he needed. And yeah. then uh, later on, McLaren and Honda, at, not at all even. But um, it's it, it always appears that he um, uh, really collects everything ar around him to, to make it work and, 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 and pretty much uh, uh, well, uh, downgrades his, yeah. uh, his teammate. And um, I'm... <laughs> I, I just feel, are we, are, is Fernando Alonso really the thing we need in Formula One right now where we're actually getting into a whole new generation oh, of drivers? Yeah. I mean, Fernando Alonso may, even makes Fet, Sebastian Vettel and Lewis Hamilton seem like pretty young still. <laughs> Trump is. Yeah, well, this feeds back into the original point because originally he stated, well, I'm going to come back to Formula One, but I'm not really going to be interested till the regulation change. Suddenly... We have Ricardo and Renault doing well, which, yes, they will be Alpine next year with a very cool new livery. We're all excited about that. And suddenly he's like, oh, well, now maybe I'm interested. And this has caused a problem for Renault. But I'll get to that in a minute because I think Steve has a point. Well, mine's not so much a point, but rather a question. Um, and I'll make a point. Firstly, my question is, why are they changing to Alpine? I mean, I understand, you know, the yeah. history of the the brand and all that sort of stuff. Cool. But I would have thought that from a marketing point of view, them pushing Renault would have been a much, you know, more important um, priority for them. And my second thing, the statement part of this is, isn't it just that the man Renault as a car manufacturing company are on the edge of, you know, perhaps pulling out of Formula One. We've all speculated yeah. for the last 12 months about that. And perhaps Cyril's thought, if we can get hold of someone that is 
sure. eminently yeah. marketable, particularly in the USA, then that helps his case with the Renault management for keeping the racing team going. Uh, now, that's a great point. That's a great point, Steve, which is that since he left sort of uh, Formula One, he has become a bit more of a name in, in America with people going, oh, yeah, no, that's the, that's the dude they were talking about from the F1 that came over and did the thing. And yeah, he's cool with his lock of lion hair. He's brilliant. Uh, oh, I might look at this um, Alpine sports car thing. Uh, Matt, so I think we've got two distinct uh, threads of, of chat here. We've got Alonso coming and doing the driver test, and obviously we're, we're wanting to talk about Alpine as well. So let, let's focus in on Alonso just for a second. Uh, putting him in the young driver test, though, does just seem a little bit off. Like he's literally stealing track time from from baby F1 drivers. Well, I mean, to be fair, he is a very youthful 39. <laughs> something you know something about, I do believe. Youthful on the outside, not so much on the inside. I'm dying slowly. Uh, but the real problem uh, is that because in their infinite wisdom, they turned down new tires for this season from Pirelli. It was agreed since the cars weren't changing at all. Normally, after the last race, there's uh, there's a young driver's yeah. test for a day and then a couple of days of tire tests for the next season. The tires aren't changing in order to save money because, let's face it, we know that earnings will be down this season. Uh, they agreed to axe all the extra testing. So the only testing day available to Alonso right now before proper winter testing gets underway before the season is the single young driver's test. So Reno is putting in to try and get him in the door because now he's interested in being competitive next year yes. instead of just showing up and doing the minimum till he gets a new car that might actually be competitive. Wait, wait, you know, are you suggesting that no, he was he was showing up to, to get a paycheck next year and now he's showing up to try and win and get podiums? Well, if I if I was trying to provoke controversy, <laughs> I would absolutely put it that way. But the reality yeah. is, if you're Fernando Alonso and you're looking at a Renault that's not super competitive, you're thinking, OK, I'll show up for 2021 and I'll race with no expectation, but just getting back into it because he's not been in a Formula One car for more than a little while now. No, look, it's a reality. Whether you want him in F1 or think he should be back in F1, he is coming back. He's a two time world champion. I personally believe he's still going to be fast um, and on it. And the, looking at our live chat. Hello, live chat. Um, it's split. It's split between people who are just like almost like indignant with rage that he's coming back taking an F1 seat. Um, but he's also quite a popular guy as well. And I think people can get into their little Alonso um, echo chambers and assume that everyone hates Alonso or everyone loves uh, Alonso. You know, I think there's a, a reasonable split there, Matt. Yeah. And, and that said, I do believe I saw that their uh, young driver, their Renault Academy driver, Joe, mm. is is doing a test in the car. Um, so it's not like they're abandoning uh, the youth, so to speak, but yeah. they're faced with a very simple logistical problem. They don't have a place to put him. Last year, uh, Ocon got into the car as soon as uh, as soon as he could and got a little extra running. And, yeah. and I think he, he demonstrates that it's not as easy as you might think to go to a different team after a year out of the sport, jump in the car and immediately be competitive. I would be surprised if if it was all that close, at least for the first four to six races. Sure, but he's also got, you know, he's got like eight days of winter testing. So that would be the the time for him to catch up. Um, also, obviously not always representative if it's cold in Barcelona or whatever, or snow, as I think there was this year. 
um, in fact. So maybe, you know, an in-season test would be re- uh, useful for, for, for Fernando Alonso. The most interesting thing that I would like to see that isn't definitely isn't going to happen is for him to turn up on an F1 weekend and do an FP1 session and just take Ricardo's car for an FP1 session. Ricardo's on his way out. So, you know, why not have Alonso go in there going on the radio? Hello, everybody. Oh, this is terrible. Oh, I like this. That's not how Spanish people talk. Yep, that was racist. Sorry. Right. Uh, but, but obviously that's not going to happen. But I think that would be quite cool. And that would be very marketable on Renault's point. It would be. But uh, the thing is, with all the driver swaps going on, Renault are hardly really the only team in this position. Mm. So we may see some changes with regards to how that test gets carried out, because I'm sure there are more than a few drivers who might wish to get slightly acquainted with their new steeds uh, before the winter testing actually kicks off for real. Cool. All right. So let's just round off on on um, Alpine. I believe it is Alpine, Jules. Um, I that smacks of to me. And again, I'm guessing. I'm just thinking that you know Derek on the on the Alpine board. He sat there. He's got a seat at the Renault uh, table when they're discussing whether to stay in F1. And they're like, "Come on, Derek, just sign off on this F1 budget, please." And he's like, "Well, I could do, but do you know what's been struggling? The Alpine brand. Tell you what, call it Renault Alpine F1." And I'll sign off, and you get Alonso in Alpine sports cars uh, for for the whole season. I'm happy, you're happy. Let's go. That's what that smacks off to me. I think uh, I think the the rumors that uh, Renault would pull out uh, have been before the season even started. Yeah. I think this is a is a a decent way of them uh, to like not really pull out, but pull their name oh, out. Hang on. So you think that this is actually a partial withdrawal? Uh, I've heard that has limited success from um, a business point of view. I think um, I think it was actually Joe in his last show who, who kind of pointed out that it's it's for no it's not really doesn't really make sense to to try and sell their cars through F one yeah and they have a, a better suiting product so um, I think that I think that's the case and uh, they have been doing so in uh, in endurance racing for for years so yeah yeah so uh, for, you know uh, from my point of view yeah I. I didn't buy my Renault on the strength of a Renault F1 team. I bought the Renault because it was a dependable, like family SUV for my family to drive around in, and and they felt safe and it dependable. Um, yeah, it's, it definitely wasn't like a, an exhilaration purchase. So um, yeah, yeah, they're always the, the winner out of the security test. So that's probably why. <laughs> there you go. Uh, which doesn't scream F1, but maybe Alpine or Renault will scream F1. This will save your children's oh, life. Sorry, Jules, I bumpered over you. Were you saying it's going to save my children's lives? Yeah, Renaults do. Well, there you go. That's a great endorsement. I'm going to play the bumper again and pretend I didn't mess up like that. (laughs) (laughs) No, you messed up and played the bumper at the wrong time. Uh, In fact, we've segued nicely since we've got Steve on here and we've been talking about the the driver moves. I think it's a bit of a toss-up between... um, between Renault and McLaren for next season. How are you feeling about your boy Ricardo's move? And yes, I am being racist, assuming that you're a Ricardo fan. All Australians are. Every single Australian loves Ricardo, even though he's secretly evil, like Lord Business off of Lego Movie. We'll find out in due time, but for now, you Aussies all love him. Oh, yes, he's good. <laughs> he's a, a funny man, and he's better. And he's a better driver than Mark Webber, and I did like Mark Webber, so... <laughs> He's, you know, he's good for us. How do I feel about it? Um, I'm an old McLaren. I mean, I started watching Formula One back in the late 1970s. 
So I'm a McLaren and Williams fan. I grew up when those guys were, you know, and was watching it when those guys were dominant. So I can't help but admit to being a Williams and McLaren fan. So to have an Aussie driver in a McLaren, for me, particularly when McLaren are now going through a resurgence and beginning to, you know, really do good stuff, I'm stoked. Um, I can't wait till he gets into that McLaren. And yes, it'll take a little while for him to get used to. Um, and they will have Mercedes engines next year, which is another huge plus. Yep. So I've got all my fingers and toes crossed. I mean, I, with Lewis in the sport at the moment and with Max, it's going to be hard for him to win a championship, I think. I think his time's probably run out for that realistically. Really? Huh. I'd really, really love to see him go up and give him a damn good kick up the bum and make them you know, realise that... Um, they're not the only good drivers in the world. <laughs> how how old is Ricardo now? Do we know? Oh, I think he's thirty four, maybe. No, Ricardo's not yeah, thirty four. Are we sure, Jules? You're shaking something your head. like that. Thirty two, yeah. maybe, but he's in his thirties for sure. Yeah, I thought 30, 30 or thirty one. I think. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, it is thirty. So he's but he's still for an F one driver. If you're if you're not like a multiple world champion, you're probably not going to be going on super super deep. Um, into your 30s. So that is interesting that Ricardo, I still think of him as like, you know, a 25-year-old. Uh, but mm. So if you say that he is probably the complete uh, Ricardo package, he's as Ricardo as he's going to get, and that big ticket front of the grid uh, team never really came, and it's it's not likely to trump it. So yeah, I've not really thought of that, is that we are seeing the best of Daniel Ricardo now, and we're going to see him matched up against a rising star Lando Norris next year. It's going to be really, really fun to watch. It is going to be fun to watch. And it came up in the chat room, and I must apologize because there are um, lots and lots of comments. Someone asked about whether or not McLaren itself was in financial trouble because they have, after all, mortgaged the family farm, so to speak, with the technology center. But I did read some articles about this, and the general consensus is, in fact, that no, they're not. This is a much that owning your own corporate headquarters is a less financially useful way. And that most corporations do what McLaren is in the process of doing, which is they are going to sell it and then long-term lease it, which frees up a bunch of capital for them to spend. Also, apparently they have been happily ring fenced, which I never understand why that word gets used, but whatever ring fenced from whatever ailments the automobile side of the company might be having okay so they have a fair bit of cash and they're supposedly walled off from any other troubles from any other mclaren divisions so actually it looks a bit rosy for them it looks like they might have a bit extra to spend like they might be able to hit the actual cost cap going into 21 into 22 which is of course what all of Mm. the teams were trying to position themselves to do and that might actually also even go back and explain the alpine branding because they might be able to bring in more marketing money and spend it that way and thus thus help the team hit that budget when they really need to, which is going into 22 when all the regulations change for real. So just to answer a question there from Lydia Cruz, where are they moving? Right, so they're not moving, but it was widely reported that this was like a bad thing, that McLaren were having to sell their technology center, their headquarters, when in fact, you know, they're not moving, they're staying there. It's just that it's being leased back to them. So if that makes more financial sense and that's common practice, oh, I'll believe them. With the ring fencing, I think that probably is a policy decision. So they've got reassurances that F1 money is not going to be siphoned off to save, uh, to prop up other other areas so they can comp- be confident in their budget. However, were the whole parent company as a whole to collapse, that would still affect them. 
the the ring fencing is just a policy of saying act as if you're going to have that budget go forward don't don't um act as if we're suddenly going to take 20 million um off you uh, so yeah so it could look rosy for for mercedes who else is going to be up in that 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 top uh, budget category in fact well jules what are you going to say first well, let's if we're talking about McLaren and things are looking rosy. Let's not forget they are running the Mercedes engine from next year mm. on, which uh, potentially yes. puts uh, Ricciardo in maybe even the best car he's ever driven in F1 since his uh, Red Bull days weren't that shiny or rosy when it was powered by uh, the Renault uh, V6 engines. So, so at the moment, um, I don't know. I'm, try- I'm trying to think, Matt. How do you, how do we think the the Renault engines have stacked up this year? Is the consensus that it's Mercedes um, and then um, and then kind of Honda and then Renault slightly under? Has that been the consensus this year for engine power? I think Honda and Renault are are in a similar place performance wise. I yeah. think I might give a slight edge to Renault actually at the moment. Um, I think Honda is more on edge with reliability. They're still working out the kinks. They've done a massive job because considering how late they entered the game, mm. like like if we were if we were judging them, it would be like, oh yeah, my four my you know my fourteen year old is now with the sixteen year old, so so like actually they're doing a great job, but they're still a fourteen year old versus sixteen year old. So yeah. I think Renault is on absolute just performance, maybe slightly ahead. What's interesting to me, the real battle is going to be between McLaren with Mercedes. Mm-hmm. And racing point with Mercedes, yeah, I, that's I, going to be fascinating to watch. I, I, think. I don't know. My my instinct is that pound for pound, McLaren is is doing a, a better job than, than Racing Point this season. Uh, pound for pound, i.e., in engine terms, not in financial terms. So I'm expecting McLaren to kind of sail past. But what the non Mercedes teams are still having to do is make compromises on their aero package. So if you've got that little bit less power, you can't bolt on all the downforce you can and it, I, instinctively it feels like mercedes uh mclaren mercedes are going to be in a in a situation where they have the funds and the experience and the technology and the wind tunnels and everything to take advantage of that extra power to be able to bolt downforce on and be competitive in a way that perhaps racing point aren't quite to that level but renault are still going to be having to making compromises next year Matt, i don't know if I'm, this is a bit of a off the top of my head but, you know, Renault is still having to make compromises for their engine this year, and they've performed better over the last couple of seasons when they've had their low downforce package out. Right. So if I'm not misremembering, I do believe that Pat Fry has moved there. They've got Alan Permain. And what they said, and this intrigued me, was that sweet spot they talked about with their low downforce package. They have now found um, with their performance um, at Mugello, And as a result, they are feeling very confident. And if they have if they have sorted that out, it's worth remembering that the Renault engines at the end of the cycle of the V8 was absolutely worth every penny that was being paid by Red Bull for them. They were not more powerful ultimately than the Mercedes engine, but they were drivable in a way with the aerodynamics of the car that made that a very very difficult package to beat so so i'm i'm willing to chuck renault in there for next year um there will be some aerodynamic changes to be considered mm. um and and even ferrari supposedly has an upgraded engine coming um <laughs> that that might benefit haas and um 
Alfa Romeo because I always have to think about which Alfa it is because of my age and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah, I know I heard about that. Uh, Ferrari are installing a, a second hamster um, in that power unit. Um, right, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be more optimistic than you guys are being about McLaren Mercedes. Um, and obviously this is wild speculation. Um, the, the old adage of you can't win as a customer team, I think has been massively overstated in the hybrid era. So I think I think that McLaren Mercedes could go and and pinch race wins, could go and pinch a title at some point in the in the next era. I just I simply don't believe the mantra that a customer team isn't allowed to win or would be held back. There are regulations that say you have to get the same engine, you have to have the same engine modes. Now you can only use one engine mode throughout the whole weekend, um, and I, I think those days are coming to an end. And I especially with the budget cap. If Mercedes have agreed to that, we're looking at a changing dynamic over the next few years of Mercedes' relationship with F1 anyway. I think any of the customer teams post-budget cap will be able to go and go and take it to the front teams, Matt. So I'm going to be much more optimistic than uh, even the most ardent McLaren fan for the next two seasons. Well, I don't know if I would go quite that far. The 2022 regulations will be interesting, but if you're a team like Mercedes that technically has unlimited resources right now, yeah. I've already put a fair amount of work into that. And if I have less resources, I've not put as much work into that. You, it has been brought up in the chat room is an interesting point. It's also very much about understanding your own car and how well you do. Mm. And I would say that McLaren absolutely has that over racing point at the moment because it's yeah. a new design for them. Oh, by the way, I was just saying like they could take it to mercedes i'm not i'm not predicting that they that they will uh but this sort of uh, gets us to a, a very short i think uh, news item uh about ineos map so let's um let's cover this in fairly short order but this alludes to what i was saying that perhaps we're seeing a changing relationship between mercedes and formula one um i, I think the, the the stripping of the budget cap takes away mercedes biggest advantage perhaps like there was so much bigger you know, maybe even a limit in staffing numbers in the future could could come in as well. Um, but they had such an advantage over the field in budget and personnel um, that they were always going to be dominant. If it, if it turns out that Mercedes end up taking a bit of a backseat, maybe even become just an engine supplier, I say just an en engine supplier, I'm imagining you could make a fortune in Formula One by being an engine supplier to four teams and having everybody want your engines and outbid each other for them. Um, but that would certainly be a level of involvement that would keep Mercedes brand in Formula One, look, powered by Mercedes, we keep winning, even if it's a McLaren Mercedes, even if it's a um, an Aston Martin Mercedes. Yes, well, I would generally say that Formula One takes fortunes and they don't make fortunes. But I think if we're going to talk about Mercedes, the opposite might be true. And I love to draw often the analogy of no limits poker. They showed up. Yep. They won, and every time they won, their pile of chips was bigger, and then that made it easier. In fact, they have, at this point, attracted so many sponsors uh, to their team and done so many side deals uh, and gotten so much marketing exposure. Mm. Apparently, the actual input of Mercedes proper, and this is sort of excluding the engines a little bit, like not considering Bricksworth, but just Brackley, uh, was only like 30, 33 million pounds last year. Okay. The okay. overall spin was uh, 330 to win, but between sponsors and value and everything like that, they really are only putting in a pittance for what they're getting. So it was kind of interesting to see that this other company, Ineos, buying in and being made a big deal of 
uh, they're they're buying in maybe Lauda shares, yeah. maybe Toto, maybe Mercedes corporate is selling some. We don't know what the outline, exact outline of the deal is yet. Uh, but it goes back to that same question we asked earlier. Where is Mercedes really going to wind up in a few years? Is Ineos going to take over as has already been posited? And uh, what is Toto going to do? Because he is, he's being very coy. Yeah about the role he's going to play in the team. And let's not forget that I don't think Lewis Hamilton has a contract yet either. So a little bit of drama there for you. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. I mean, I'd be tempted to go off on a big one about Where's, what's Lewis going to do? Who might take over from Lewis? But they have a history of signing late deals and, and everything being fine. Uh, the the likely jumping points for Lewis Hamilton within F1 appear to have gone. Like Aston Martin would be the, the only juicy looking project, I think, for, for, next, for next season. Um, and I'm assuming that this is next season we're talking about. At this point, we can be reasonably comfortable that Lewis Hamilton is going to be a Mercedes driver next year. So I think, I think we'll save the Wolf uh, Hamilton speculation for another show, Matt. Uh, and I think that's reasonable because we don't know where it's going to go. But he has been, he's been, uh, Wolf especially, I think not so much Hamilton mm. because we all know that Hamilton's real deal is he wants to win more championships than anybody, which if I was that good at something, I would pretty much have that as my goal too. I, I would Instead, keep, it's like, yeah. Mostly to get out of bed at a reasonable hour and at least shower once a week. You know? I would keep winning until people were sick of me. I would keep winning until everyone hated me. That's what that's what I would do. Steve? Hasn't that happened already? <laughs> uh, yeah, maybe. <laughs> All right, let, let's move on. All <laughs> uh, right, uh, that's, so hang on. Let's um, check my, my, um, my, my, my stereotypical tropes. Um, Steve supporting Ricardo. Check. Uh, oh, we've got a Dutch guy. Uh, right, let's talk about Verstappen. Let's talk about Verstappen, Jules. Now then, um, yeah. you are uh, not uh, Orange Army. You are not a, a Verstappen, a Verstappenite, uh, a Max Fossey. 
What? Why? Are you just being difficult, Jules? Are you just going no. against the crowd? Are you one of these people who says, oh, I don't even own a TV? Oh, I, I don't like <laughs> Jeans are common. No, are you no, one no. of those? Uh, two reasons. Uh, uh, one of them being when Max Verstappen entered the scene, uh, I was still uh, covering Formula One as a profession, so I had some kind of mm-hmm. you know uh, professional uh, uh, distance. But the second is um, I like personalities. And I like Formula One drivers that represent more um, than just being a driver. And uh, Max Verstappen just doesn't really appeal to me in that way. That he's he has a he has a, a big mouth and he's talkative, but only only about the Formula One and the racing, and and doesn't really uh, nobody really knows what he's about besides that. And there are some drivers that are uh, well uh, more uh, more outspoken and and uh, share more. Uh, views on live, etc., and I just think that's more appealing. It 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 adds to the whole story of Formula One, right? Uh, and I must immediately bring up, uh, in all fairness, how old is he again? He's yeah, he, he's still very young. Yeah, so it's not a surprise to me. He doesn't really have a lot else to talk about because <laughs> I don't think he's been alive long enough to have a lot else to talk about. And I don't mean that in a bad way, but you know, I got a fifteen-year-old, and let me tell you. <laughs> uh, that's true that's that, that that's totally true but um when you uh hear and read and listen about how um, um max has been brought up yes um, his yeah. life has always been pretty much racing 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 and and then racing so you can't really blame him for not um it's it's, it's an exaggeration but it's like michael jackson who got pulled out of life at four years old and yeah. start just recording in the, in the studios it's it's kind of the the same uh same thing wow steve the michael jackson of formula one <laughs> well yes I've, I've got to agree with that the reason why we don't know a lot about max yeah um is really because he hasn't done a lot outside of racing ever since he's been four or five years old his whole well his father's focus has mm. been on turning him into a formula one championship so he probably hasn't had enough time to develop uh, opinions and interests and things, you know, outside of that tiny little world that he inhabits. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I get what, what Jules is saying. You know, we only have 20 Formula One drivers. You know, we, we kind of want to learn everything about them and consume everything about them. You know, Lando Norris, Daniel Ricciardo, they're, they're all much obliging. Lewis Hamilton gives us certainly lots of headlines as this kind of glamour megastar. I'm, look, I'm wearing, uh, what was he wearing? He was wearing like a tartan smock. It looked like on a scooter. Oh and, my god! And I, I'm gonna—I could have guessed, Steve, that you didn't like that look that Kimi Raikkonen mocked him for on Instagram. Uh, but that's like—that's fashion forward. If I could wear that and look cool and have people take photos of me, I—I I definitely would. But I can't because everything makes me look like a giant potato at the moment. Curse you, COVID! Uh, of course, COVID has had other worse effects, but that's—that's the—the that's ballooning. That's my—that's my worst one, Steve. Um. I think part of it is also just the times that we live in. I mean, back before the internet, um, what did people know about drivers, really? If you wanted to know something about drivers, you had to go and buy the magazines and read whatever articles to give you some background. These days, you can just go search online and you get, you know, the whole lock, stock and barrel in one, you know, quick hit. So the fact that people, you know, are wanting all this information on drivers is a very new thing, really, and, and being able to yeah, get it, of yeah, course, yeah. is a very new thing. So, um, you know, I guess we as consumers 
are learning as much as the industry is learning, you know, how to cope yeah. with all of that extra information and all of that kind of stuff. So uh, just just to quickly divert to the, the Kimmy Lewis thing, because obviously that's come up in the chat room. I didn't see that as all that mean-spirited from Kimmy. I, I saw that as like like posting a fashionable photo of a handsome, successful sportsman isn't really that much of an insult, you know, when you're comparing him to a very popular but a driver with a lifestyle that probably wouldn't do all that well in Formula One today, uh, which was, of course, Mike Hunt, and uh, and saying, uh, you know, look at how F1 drivers have evolved. I didn't see that as a, a mean jab. I saw that as quite a funny jab because Kimi is more of, you know, that kind of Hunt-esque type driver. Yeah. But by Hunt standards, Raikkonen would be, um, you know, would be a choir boy still. So. Um, Lewis and Kimmy would have to be friends, wouldn't they? They've been racing yeah, you know, together yeah. and against each other for 20 years or more. So, yeah, he's taken the mickey out of Lewis a little bit, but I don't think it was mean-spirited at all. I think it was quite funny. Uh, but if we go back to Verstappen again uh, briefly, Jules, uh, yeah. I I know that like a lot of your countrymen now will be screaming defence at him. Um, obviously, you can't you can't deny that he is a, a good driver, but perhaps yeah, sure. starting I mean, to show a bit of frustration, actually, at Red Bull. Yeah, yeah. James Hunt. Course. Sorry, why have I been saying Mike Hunt? James Hunt. So sorry, James Hunt. Steve, edit in the whole what? time. Could you repeat that, please, for the Mike Hunt? Totally safe Mike work live Hunt. stream. Mike Hunt definitely said it correctly, <laughs> even if it was the wrong name. I've, sorry, sorry. Go on. I've known three people called Mike Hunt in my life. There I can't figure out what their parents were up to. I don't know why I've gone. I don't know why I've done oh, that. Let's save you spanners and st- just start asking your questions. Do it. Do it. Do it. Do it. Um, of course, he's he's one of the the best drivers on the grid, most talented. Uh, obviously, um, that wasn't the question. Um, but um, as his orange army is uh, is very vo- uh, vocal, uh, of course, there's ma- major disappointment of his two last races, DNF, um, three out of nine races now, uh, uh, not uh, 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 saw the, mm. the the finish flag. So um, yeah, it's it's a bit it's a bit in the in the in the news that it's a bit of a um, a story right now. Like uh, Max should uh, lose his frustration and uh, keep going, and uh, Honda promises they again solved uh, the problems just as they did after Monza. So um, I sometimes wonder, like, how much patience does Max himself have with Honda with Red Bull um, because he's been touted. Uh, youngest uh, world champion yeah. uh, ever, which I think isn't possible anymore. But um, it's his fifth year in Formula One, I think, maybe even sixth, fifth, I think. And uh, t- time is uh, time is ticking, and there's a, a new generation behind him yes, already. That's right, uh, yeah, coming up. So um, he needs to get uh, the right circumstances around him, uh, which isn't that easy. Or I'm, I fear for him. He's not just going to be that world champion like like people over here just kind of assume. Assumed, he's gonna yeah. Be world, yeah, he's going to be a world mm. champion someday, sure. Matt? Well, I, I still have, based on what I've seen right now, I, I feel like he has, of the contenders right now, the best possible chance. What's interesting to me is you ask how much patience he'll have with Red Bull and Honda. Mm. And I think the question for him will be, there is exactly right now one team that he could move to that would give him a better chance. And I don't see that team being interested in hiring him until their current four, five, six, seven, eight, however many times world champion <laughs> decides to uh, head off for greener pastures 
to do something else. Well, that will be the hope. I don't think. Yeah, that'll yeah. be the hope, won't it, for Verstappen's fans, is that because Hamilton hasn't signed his contract yet, that maybe they would want him to move. Well, what do you reckon, what do you reckon Jules? Would Verstappen fans want him to go and replace Lewis Hamilton? Huge shoes to fill, but you have to think that he would easily beat Bottas. No-brainer. Of course, they, mm. they would want him to and um, beat, beat Hamilton. I think most of them, um, and I don't, I don't think that's just uh, his fans think he has a real shot of uh, of beating Lewis Hamilton. Uh, so there, were, there were already uh, people. I, uh, I think it was on uh, on the Sky television coverage, claiming he's the best driver on the grid right now, but just not in the in the best car. But that he's matured so much. Yeah. Um, I, I always, I always have a, a slight doubt with him whether he's, he can really uh, pu- uh, pull in a world championship when uh, it's really on the line. Because he's always the, the hunter, the chaser right now. And when yeah. he wins, it's fantastic because it's always uh, not on the odds. Yes. And uh, what happens if he gets into a title fight with the, with the pressure? And we all know he can be a bit um, tempered, so to say. Um, can, can he manage a, a title fight? And um, uh, I, I would really like to see that. I think yeah. people were assuming that we would have seen Verstappen in a title fight by now, Matt. And so, you know, and we haven't. And the longer it goes on, the more he kind of, not morphing into Alonso, but into that same kind of vein where he can be the cheeky chappy that it's all against the odds. And when you have good days, big days, it's huge. It was unexpected. His par, if he wants to shoot a par, is is third. You know, if he wants to sink a birdie, beat Bottas as well. But when he gets that race win, it's an eagle. The crowd goes wild. We don't know what happens when he is, when his par is first every race. Drumbeat, bring it home. Hamilton's done that seven times. Can Verstappen do it? I personally, I think he, we would be able to do it. But it's certainly, you know, it's a big test. Yeah, he does present the mentality of being someone who, given the lead, will maintain it and be comfortable and happy. I mean, I know we've had this discussion about mm. like being in the lead versus chasing someone. Right now, he's the chaser. And that's an easy psychological position to be in. I'm chasing you down. That's easier than I'm leading. I'm in front and everyone has to come catch me. Yeah. But I will also pose, if I'm Verstappen and I go, let's say, let's say Hamilton breaks a leg. Yes. And, yeah. And is and is out. It's going to be he breaks it in such a way that he's going to be out for half of next year and all of the following year and Max has a special get out of jail free card and he goes to Mercedes. Let's just pause that for the sake of making our show even longer than it probably already <laughs> will be. Yeah. What is everyone going to say when and if he wins that first world championship? Yeah, well like it's It's the car. Yeah. But, it's well, not him. So so like how eager would he be to go to Mercedes at this point? I, I'm gonna re, I'm gonna really push like the Max Fossey side of it here by pointing out to you that he is second in the world championship over a Mercedes car and Bottas. I don't think Bottas is is the mug that he sometimes is being made out to look like. If Lewis Hamilton was to go break his leg now and miss the rest of the season, and Mercedes didn't quite get the right driver pick, say they put Hulkenberg in there, who as we know is cursed to never get a podium but he can spend the rest of his life being a handsome F1 driver with all the perks that come with that. Verstappen could win the championship from here. If Lewis Hamilton doesn't doesn't race again, whoever you put in the Mercedes car isn't guaranteed to, to beat a Verstappen-Red Bull combination. So let's be clear. Verstappen 
is outdriving the Red Bull's current place in F1. Now, now, as it happens, I think Red Bull is out-engineering the engine they have at the moment and doing fantastically well as well. Uh, but Verstappen is beating uh, one of the Mercedes cars, which also tells you that Lewis Hamilton is probably out-driving that car as well. So I don't know, Matt. I, I think in your scenario, Verstappen just stays where he is and can deliver a championship from Red Bull. So I'm going a bit Max Fossey there. Which I think is fair. I, I oh, think my point is... Hang on, sorry. Someone's oh. being, I'm being corrected in the chat room. He's, he's, he's currently third. He was second for a bit. Oh, sorry. My, okay, my bad. But he's, he's, he's pretty close. He's, he's 15 he's, points, he's 25 in, points. Oh, God, sorry, that's terrible. But when we say in with a shout. Yeah, that ruins my and whole point. But yeah, he's in with a shout. Yeah, sorry. Well done, guys. He's in with a shout. He's <laughs> delivered a race win. He's delivered some second places. He's, he is capable, given the chance of doing it. Yeah. And I'm just going to bring it home by saying, if I'm Max, I'm not sure I want to go to Mercedes and win a championship. I might want to go to Ferrari and win a championship. Yeah. But if I go to Mercedes, everyone's just going to say, say it's exactly the what they say about Lewis now is it's the car, but at least Lewis won in a different car first. Okay. Let me, let me, yeah. Let me, let me walk back because I'm embarrassed with my mistake. Um, I would say let's put, put Jules's, was it 33% DNF? Yeah. Yeah. Let's factor that into the equation to rescue me and pretend that I was saying spiritually second in the championship. That's what I was saying. The communication has been very clear on this on this topic. Uh, Jules, round off Verstappen for us. Yeah, well, I think your point is is very valid. Whether you had the percentages or the, his position right, he's uh, he's out driving the Red Bull, and he's um, uh, I think um, uh, morally outperforming Bottas. Um, I think um, I, I think his disappointment and his frustration isn't solely uh, not finishing the last two races. It's uh, it goes back further to last winter when they really, really believed they had the car to uh, to uh, take the fight to uh, to Hamilton to Mercedes, and again it hasn't panned out like that. And um, uh, I think that's that's he's got no way, no place to go. But um, it's just a repeat, uh, repeat. Uh, yeah. re- it's 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 a cycle that keeps repeating every every off season, and uh, so there's always the Red Bull hype, isn't there? Mid-season. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Good. Thank you very much, uh, Jules. Uh, where can people find you online? You are right because you, um, I've worked very hard to get your name pronounced correctly. It's Jules Segers, and it's uh, S E G E R S. S double E. Ah, oh, there we go. S that's yeah. too many E's. S double E G E R S. And your Jules Sagers yeah. uh F one on Twitter? Uh, without the F one. Oh, just Jules yeah. Sagers. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. Did you, you yeah, I suppose you you are a, a full time lecturer now, uh, teaching the next generation of, of baby journos to come out. Um could Correct. you tell them all to not constantly go on about F one being boring if they want to have an F one career? Uh, you'd be surprised how many uh, how many of those kids are actually uh, into Formula One and trying to get into the business. I'm sure we would yeah. be. Thank you very much, Jules. All right, let me just um, talk to you guys uh, for a little moment, um, Matt. Obviously, you will be aware there was there was quite a Twitter storm um, on Tuesday and Wednesday. I was at home scratching my butt, sitting there watching Thirty Rock, having a day off. And then my my phone exploded to the extent that I now have a separate Project Media phone. So I now have a separate handset that was sitting in my drawer 
I've put a SIM card in it, and that is my phone. I have to now deliberately check social media messages and emails rather than them being in my pocket. Such was the storm. Really? I had no idea (laughs) anything of the sort had happened. And what day was this? Uh, Tuesday Tuesday? and Wednesday. Isn't that like last year in social media time anyway? Why are we even talking about this? Yes, of course. Of course, the whole social media world um, has moved on. But just, you know, people have been asking me why I was not talking about... um, the 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 comments on 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 social media from Joe Sayward and you know the the subsequent Twitter storm and I just you know the as I said on the Remain Indoors podcast join us live for the Remain Indoors podcast where we say things um that aren't about F one uh, the reason I I hadn't said anything was was mainly because I hadn't said anything it, you know it was almost its own thing it's like well if I haven't yet chosen to say anything that's that's the reason I just haven't well yeah at least publicly yes. which is an entirely different thing yeah than privately so just to assure you guys you know we have talked about things extensively um as a part panel as a project and i've had lots of conversations with joe as well and and those conversations have taken part as as people who work together and collaborate together would normally do you know in a grown-up option uh, dm is always an option email is always an option but also i just felt like there was enough people saying things on twitter you know, was my hot take really needed? And I was thinking about what is my social contract uh, with you guys as listeners? Is it that you want my hot take every five seconds? Or is our contract that I will sit here and give you some background listening for exactly 60 minutes on a weekly basis for you to have as some Formula One background listening? And in return, you don't mind too much if I put some ads on the shows and then this this can all make up part of my part of my freelance working week. You know, are you you don't necessarily think that my following is there, Matt, you know, for me to like jump up and down and say things like, well, for example, uh, well, why are we deliberately doing Brexit, which is what our worst enemies would wish on us, but we're doing it on purpose. For example, you know, you, you, that people don't really think of me as like that hot take guy. So that's why I didn't kind of add my fuel to the fire. Well, and it's reasonable. I mean, at Honestly, at the point I even woke up and looked at my phone, there was like 9 million comments. <laughs> 37,000 things had been said back and forth by the principals and everyone who jumped on. the. And, you, and I think your reaction is, and please don't take this the wrong way, remarkably mature. Oh, right. Old. You mean old? Yeah, I do. It's the 40 talking. <laughs> you just, it, it, the, the question of, what, if anything, can I add to this conversation exactly. is an entirely legitimate one when you get to be our age. Yeah, exactly. So w- with the with the big fire that was um, that was raging, I simply didn't have anything constructive to add. But just know um, we have had all the conversations as a team um, that have been required. And also, you know, when people are that angry and that ferocious, Matt, all I could do was lose whatever comment I make, whatever side I was perceived or stand I was perceived to take. The thing that was going to suffer is if you're the mummy and I'm the daddy is our little precious baby of Missed Apex podcast. Because whatever we say or whatever we do, someone's going to go, ah, that was too harsh or that was not harsh enough or it was harsh, but it was on the wrong side. And poor little baby Missed Apex was not going to get enough milk. And and I felt sad about that. Yeah. Well, and (laughs) to be fair, as a collaborative project, oftentimes it is difficult to engineer a statement from the project versus a statement from the individual. And yeah. it's very easy 
for an individual statement to be confused with a statement from the project. Yeah, and there's, and there's very little uh, room for, for nuance either. So that's enough of that. But to be fair... Oh, you've just... You've done it again, Matt. I said, that's enough of that. I pressed the button, it went da 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 and then go on then. We'll, we'll, I won't play fair, the bumper again. I, I think if we were going to say anything, I think your tagline for the end of the show was probably the most appropriate thing. <laughs> Work hard. Be kind. Have fun. Now that's worth a button press. <laughs> ah. Tell you who works hard. I tell you who works hard. People who go out on location and film stuff, like Steve Amy. Film crews, film producers, broadcasters, people that put together live output. It's blinking hard work. The hours are insane. Uh, and being away from home is a, a big part of that as well much like what the Formula One drivers are facing at the moment. How have you seen the last nine races with, with triple headers? Too much? Fatigue? How have you, how have you seen it? It's been difficult, um, <clears throat> particularly here because the races are on late at night. So, I mean, it wouldn't be quite so yeah. bad if the races were on during the day. Uh, that'd be fine. But you've got three weekends in a row where you're staying up till one o'clock in the morning and getting up, for me anyway, getting up three hours later (laughs) to do the podcast. You look forward to the weekend where you can actually get a decent night's sleep, if you know what I mean. Um, So three in a row is hard. One every second week is fine. I have no problem with that. And I think people have got to get on with their own lives and, you know, their families and all of those sorts of considerations. So Personally, I would much prefer that it was just a two, you know, every two weeks as per normal. But given the dearth of racing that we had earlier in the year, I'm not complaining because at least we've got something to watch. Jules, what would you reckon? I, I started to suspect that even viewers were starting just to get a little bit of fatigue with that run. You know, it's a special situation, but boy, was it intense. So many races being thrown at you. Yeah. You know what I think viewers miss is um, the anticipation, the slight disappointment of entering a weekend thinking, oh, what am I going to do on Sunday? (laughs) And there's there's no race. What am I going to do? And now there's pretty much every Sunday there's a race. And um, um, that longing, that that, that boredom of not having a Grand Prix weekend, uh, me personally, I I sometimes miss that. But maybe (laughs) that's just me being old. I'm from the days of Friday morning pre-qualifying sessions to uh, to uh, live up to, but um, so it's. I think Steve's right uh, in that sense. Uh, we should be happy with every race we get, but um, uh, the the exclusiveness of Formula One uh, um, uh, on on television and all that, <laughs> and that that's gone a bit with all these triple headers. But um, well, you know, maybe I'm just an old romantic. Uh, I don't know. It's it's Christmas every day, isn't it, trumpets? I personally, I've loved it, but I found it intense. Um, as people who are covering it as well and producing content, I mean, we'll produce content anyway. We did it for, what, seven months of no races. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, we'll be on the mic producing podcasts anyway. If F1 completely stopped running, we'd find, we'd, um, you know, we'd do it about uh, lobster racing, wouldn't we, off, uh, off the coast of Bournemouth. We would do a full... We might even talk about Le Mans. Oh, don't want to. It's an F1 podcast. Do... Do your races that are quite cool but far too long podcast by yourself, um, and uh, and I will promise I will subscribe to it. Uh, I, the the fatigue I think we felt though as content creators where we go actually 
we can't even fit in of our normal news cycle. So we're quite used to having race, uh, talk about a bit of F1 news, catch up on all the goings on, have arguments. Like we're so used as content creators to being to like having to pull content out and go right. Let's let's deep dive into that subject and and pull like a driver special or a um, a tire special. You know, we've not even had room to breathe there. So I'm sort of missing the room to breathe we had as part of a normal season. I'm not complaining, but like Jules said, you know, there are things we used to do as part of our ritual when we were in those gaps. Yeah, and it is a bit worrisome when you have so many races in a row. And then, like, like I look and I'm like, news show, and I'm like, what even is a news show? What did I used to do? I can't even recall anymore how we did the news shows. You know, you sort of like you, you get out of practice, but there was a very well-established cycle and it was easy for us and comfortable to write it. And it's already being brought up in the chat room. And I think it's worthwhile is what are we going to do? Because we all know that 25 races is the goal. Uh, so we are going to have more back-to-back weekends, but everyone's talking about triple headers. I don't think we'll see as many triple headers, but I think we'll see one race a week off and then a double header and a week off and then one race and a week off and then a double header mm. to make the numbers. And then probably like we might see a triple header going into summer break and we might see, depending, we might see one like right at the end of the season. But Red Bull has come out with some interesting ideas based on the fact that we have been able to add all these new races in and see all these new venues, which I'm still very excited about. I think uh, from a fan's point of view, the the new tracks, etc., um, uh, they, they have been very welcoming. Uh, on the other hand, the, the triple headers. Uh, as a fan, um, the the non Grand Prix weekends, the two week breaks between mm-hmm. races, it gives you this this sense of um, a craving or longing for a race, but also, ooh, are my uh, my team or is my driver going to find something to close the gap mm-hmm. to uh, to the one he's he's chasing or fighting for the title with? And now it's just poof, 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 race after race after race, and you and you just kind of sense like that's nah, it's going to be the same after a, again and again because there's no development time it's just you know it's just yeah change, change uh, the the venue and but it's going to be pretty much the same again and i think as a fan you you you, you need that hope like oh maybe down the factory they're <laughs> going to find something yes. and it's going to be totally different next time and and by the time a race rolled around i would i would like almost have memorized the championship table here i made the embarrassing gaffe of of saying that verstappen was second and in my mind i'm sure he was outperforming Bottas enough, but obviously then he's had the DNFs and stuff like that and, and, and you know, a few su- suboptimal results. So I, I don't memorize the championship table before every race match. I, I, I haven't been watching every single practice session because when it's a two-week break or two weekends off in between, when it gets to Friday practice, I'm desperate to consume it. When it's every week, I'm like, eh, I, can, I can tune in for qualifying. I'll, I'll, I'll catch up the rest on, on Twitter. Yeah, well, as Mark Greenhow points out in the chat, we are not always just ourselves. And we may occasionally have to engineer reasons (laughs) to have the time to watch the races because our families are also getting a bit tired of the weeks in a row spent consuming our (laughs) favorite thing. Yeah. Uh, But yeah, I don't know. It's a challenging thing. Uh, Triple headers are hard. I, I can't imagine outside of the circumstances, the particular circumstances that they would, would really yeah. want to schedule very many of them. Okay. But uh, the point is how much is not quite too much. <laughs> That's what I think Liberty is trying to hit. 
I think we've pushed our, we've pushed the limit of how much F1 we're willing to consume in a short space of time. So it's certainly been a good test, and I'm sure they've got test groups out there. Uh, from a Formula One point of view, I get the feeling that they're going to be pushing for like 25, 26 races, um, which means it's going to be triple headers, and that there will be triple headers coming up, and they work, and they can physically do it. If that means there's more money in the pot, then you're going to need to squad rotate, and it's what happened to to British teams when the Champions League started. And I'm sure the same in Europe as well. And they had to bring in squad rotation. And you started having to have much bigger squads. And, and, and then suddenly the League Cup or the FA Cup, you, that's where you'd start playing the kids, you know. So you might have to just start looking at your crew and saying, well, we'll have the very best mechanics out with us at the car wrecking circuits, you know, at the street circuits, if that's the one that breaks the cars. And, and we'll have to have more staff and a bit of, of squad rotation within a cost cap. I don't know how that works. But from a fan point of view, I don't know. I've enjoyed it. Um, wife's not complained too much. Um, so let's see what happens in 2021. But as far as 2022 goes, um, Steve, uh, let's uh, get your old school opinion. Uh, you've been watching Formula One since um, 1953, since it started, let's just say. <laughs> um, and we're going to see some old school tracks popping up. So let, let's get uh, let, let, let's start getting some opinions on some of the new to formula one i say inverted commas new sort of new to most new to most viewers steve uh perhaps i'm um, starting with you know we've got tuscany imola that, that's coming up we're going to have uh portsmouth of course and the nurburgring grand prix circuit which i'm excited for uh what do you reckon how are they holding up or how do you think they'll hold up i think it's brilliant um I think the new tracks bring a new level of interest for you know viewers that have you know perhaps yeah. you know got into the sport in the last few years. Personally, Mugello, I, what a brilliant track! It, I mean, it's been a long time since I went sim sim racing, but in the yeah. days when I had my X, Xbox One and was you know <laughs> doing that sort of stuff, um, Monza was my favourite track, and uh, it was brilliant to see it back on the real you know with formula one cars running around on it and the one thing for me was i didn't realize how hilly it was because yeah. the simra games don't actually show you no. the horizon four and it's beautifully picturesque and a great track and we had a great race there portamau the same thing um i don't think they've ever had a race there they've done a, a season of testing back in 2006 or seven a few days of testing there i think huh. but I'm really looking forward to that. And, of course, Imola, well, Imola's had Formula One cars at it before, had rather yeah. a checkered history, but nonetheless is a good track, um, although it will be interesting to see how it performs with this new era of cars. Uh, the last time they had cars there, they were V8s or 10s, but it was yeah. in the you know non-hybrid era. So that will be interesting to see how the track handles that. But I, I have no problem with the tracks. And the other good one, of course, is going to be Turkey with the, the two variations that they're going to run there. That's going to be an interesting comparison. Now then, Steve, what's that? The two variations of the Turkish Grand Prix? Yeah, there's the normal Turkish Grand Prix track and then isn't the uh, proposal that they would run a second Grand Prix in the square, uh, oh, you know, that's almost uh, oval shape thing? That's uh, Bahrain. So they're going to do that in Bahrain. Oh, Bahrain. Yes. Sorry. Yeah, Bahrain. No. Wrong place. I apologise. Yeah. That will be interesting as well. I think that its ovalness has been somewhat overstated. But yeah, certainly be interesting yes, to see them go, oval. go back to Turkey. Uh, I, I worry... Uh, a little bit about uh, a Nürburgring. It's, it's, a, it's a great track, great track. And Imola as well. You know, they, 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 these are good uh, motor racing tracks. Uh, Nürburgring, just from the top of my head, I'm struggling to visualise it, but is the straight going to be 
sort of quite short. I, I think that's quite a short straight. I don't know if I'm imagining that. It's a short straight. It is into a big wide hairpin. So that might be a lot of fun as well. Uh, so we could see some interesting racing there. And I think there's a few error generators uh, too. Uh, what are you looking forward to, Jules? Uh, Nürburgring, uh, not so much for the track indeed, but for the weather conditions. Um, it's uh, usually when everyone was there, it was always kind of spa-esque crazy. Yeah. And uh, it, sh- it could be, uh, could be uh, very interesting from that aspect. Uh, Imola, because there's just so much heritage yeah. and um, there's been some, some, some great races. But I share uh, uh, Steve's opinion. Um, um, it's... It, it doesn't sound uh, promising what what the, the the people are saying about it now that it's going to be a procession, but we'll see. I think the most exciting thing about all these these new tracks is, uh, apart from Turkey, uh, they're non Herman Tilke tracks, and I'm not a Tilke basher uh, per se, no. but I think it's uh, it's just a nice uh, a nice uh, diversion from uh, from what we already have and know the last couple of years and. I mean, you saw it in Mugello, uh, Imola, as uh, Steve said, it has great uh, uh, ups and downs. And uh, um, yeah, yeah, so so um, it's just it's just nice to go back back into time, really, and and and, and see the current <laughs> cars in, in in your childhood memories uh, uh, tracks. I, I am looking forward to the the tracks I don't know, so I'm looking forward to seeing uh, to seeing Portimao, and I'm looking forward to, to seeing Imola because I only have like really shady memories of it in my mind. From being a kid, and it's all associated, of course, with with um, with Senna and and um, and Ratzenberger. Um, but recently, we did it on our iRacing um, iRacing series, and it was it was glorious. It was a really good flowing track. Obviously, the fear will be, you know, if it's narrow, um, and and the straight is reasonably long, I think. So you might get some, you know, a Mugello style track where you can overtake at least that that one point. You can have very good racing uh, as long as you have an overtaking point that doesn't gum up the action give you too many trains yeah. um uh, jules then matt oh sorry yeah and, and i think a race isn't ju- only good or uh, or great when there's lots of overtaking um and uh if there's fighting and um uh, i mean a monza race the only overtake after uh after the red flag was uh, signs passing stroll but the race is now lauded as oh that was an awesome race was maybe was this the greatest race of the decade so um i don't i think we shouldn't get too hung up about that just yet and i think the cool thing about portimao is uh like imola it's also really shaped to the landscape it it's uh it's uh built uh, built uh, at so it's not um carved into into whatever spot they wanted to attract they they, they really um uh, saw the place um uh, thought this would be cool for for a track and they they got someone some architect uh, actually um that wasn't even a track designer to just like really shape the track into the into the landscape cool. so i'm really looking forward yeah. uh, all, all the, the 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 racers on television or in the media that have raced there they they are really excited for uh, for this race trumpets yeah well uh, red bull was out recently talking about the fact that we are going to these new tracks. A lot of the reason we are going to these new tracks is because we don't have audiences available to buy tickets. So Formula One is in effect renting the circuit to put their races on, which is what allows them to put it on. Red Bull has come in and said, hey, you know what? It's kind of fun to go to these new circuits. Not all of them will be able to afford a yearly place on the Rota. 
but maybe we have like an invitational style championship where every other year we go to one of these that can pony up mm. the money. And the other thing that's coming up, and you mentioned Imla, it's important to note that Imla is only going to be a two-day weekend. Yes. It will not be yeah, a yeah. three-day weekend. Yeah. So it's also possible that we could see Liberty making deals for two-day weekends with certain circuits where they then have to pay less money because they don't get the Friday running that allows the other promoters to sell more tickets across the whole of the weekend. And as an exciting perk for joining our Missed Apex iRacing series, we have lined up with the Formula One calendar. So if you would like to race with us on iRacing, if you are already a, um, an iRacing subscriber um, and a listener of this show, uh, come and race the likes of me and Matt and Kyle and Alex. I think Brad's going to be there as well. Um, there's some great racers, but there's also uh, some quite uh, some quite um, corporate racers. So more of a kind of military medium. Uh, you, if you're reasonable and get, can get round the track without crashing, you can come and race me and Matt. If you're an alien, you can race uh, Alex and Kyle. Uh, but if you are uh, very casual, there's a, a nice battle always towards the back of the grid um, as well. As long as you're polite and don't ram people off, you're more than welcome with us. Go to mistapexpodcast.com forward slash iRacing. Uh, come and join us. There's a sub of four quid because iRacing has a subscription and paper content model and we broadcast it. So we need to give the commentators the comment, uh, the content and we need to give Steve the content as well uh, so that we can produce, you know, a nice live stream of us um, all racing as well. And it's a fantastic evening, Matt. Um, when we did our last season, people loved competing and they loved watching it as well. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. The The commentary is first rate. It's some of the best esports commentary i have heard no chris stevens it's the no it's the best esports commentary it is the best esports commentary and chris catman turner is his martin brundle well to to be fair i i, I know jack nichols so i didn't want to like really just diss him if you know what yeah. i mean he doesn't do he's all oh, he does do esports no chris stevens is better than jack nichols there i said it and steve amy's video productions is is the best second to none it's, it's the best esports coverage there is uh esports doesn't yeah. deserve steve so we're looking forward to that 3rd of October and 31st of October. Uh, you can either email us mistapexpodcast at gmail.com or mistapexpodcast.com forward slash iRacing to get involved. Let's uh, finish quickly by talking about Sochi. Steve, um, I am, you know, I'm a cheerleader of F1, but I never get excited about the Sochi Grand Prix coming up. It, it seems to be a track designed to just get them around as quickly as possible. Uh, celebrate winning F1 uh, as an event. Yay, we did F1. Now let's wrestle a bear to the ground. It's just, it doesn't thrill me, Sochi. Give me hope. Well, in the spirit of this <laughs> broadcast, I will <laughs> uh, I will first say that I totally agree with you, but I will argue the point just Good. so that we have something to go on <laughs> with. It's the best track in the world. You, know? <laughs> you went I've too far. I've seen better races you've, coming from there. You've overcompensated. You've overcompensated, <laughs> Steve. Well, mate, I can't help it. It's an awful track. I don't know why they go there. I really don't. So uh, any, I any, wish I could be more positive. <laughs> any optimism on the panel from Sochi? It's fine if you haven't got any. Jules, what's your take on the track? Uh, uh, kind of agree with Steve, but I think if you sh if you need to point out one cool thing about it i think it's the um the pretty long straight 
um, that is actually has a turn in it, which isn't really a turn. Yeah. Uh, which like in Baku, unfortunately it's not as long as in Baku, but it, it kind of give you, give you a chance to do a counterattack immediately after you get overtaken. If, yeah. if it, it happens in, 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 in a fortunate, uh, uh, way. And if you don't, then you get this, this, um, this enormous left-hander, Turn three, yeah. I think uh, two years ago it was Hamilton that overtook Fettel in in that corner, and so I, I like that breaking point. But yeah, that's in the beginning of the lap, and then there's lots of ninety yeah. degree corners and 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 places on the uh, on the on the track that you never remember, and you have no clue where on the track this actually is until they come up on the straight, and you think, oh, that's that's not a lap done. So so it's weird because it should be a good track in a way like and they had a, a clean slate but you're right i think sector one has got a lot of interesting stuff you've, you've got that heavy braking zone isn't it where we famously saw you know rosberg you know go off um on the end there and then make his tires last for the end of to the end of the stint you've got turn three which should be brilliant because you can take a couple of different lines through there and then it suddenly turns into the worst parts of singapore and abu dhabi so like towards <laughs> the end of the lap it kind of turns into the, the abu dhabi sector three and then it's got all these 90 degree stop and starts where they follow each other through. However, yeah. how many times have we thought, Matt, that we were going to a supposedly boring track and yet this season has produced action and drama? So there's that to be hopeful for. But one can always start with the midfield. Yeah. We have Renault looking really good. We're on a track that generally has low tire degradation, which might yeah. make racing point more competitive than they've been at the last few races. True. Especially with Perez being generally good at managing the tires. Um, so so it's not out of reason that we might have some excitement in the race. And we can all remember last year when Vettel got ahead of Leclerc at the start, possibly by design, and then refused to hand the position back. <laughs> Ferrari yeah. undercut him, and then his car promptly stopped, bringing out the virtual safety car and <laughs> handing yeah. the win to Lewis Hamilton. Yeah. So, yeah, the track is boring, but that doesn't mean there will be no drama. And and is it later in the year than we normally go there? Am I am I incorrect about oh, this? Oh, that might be a factor. So, what does that do? That means even less tire wear. Uh, it, well, colder can make things harder or easier mm. depending upon what your natural inclination is with the tires. Yeah, uh, it will be better for cars following the colder it is because it helps keep the engine temperatures down and the engines working to a higher capacity. Um, but with cold, but it, by the same token, behind the safety car, those tires get colder quicker, and if they're not up to temperature when you hit the first turn, eh, those braking points that you really thought you picked out well don't work the way they used to. Awesome. So let's get some quick predictions then uh, from our panel. Uh, Jules Sagers, thank you so much for, for giving up your time and joining us on Missed Apex Podcast. You are at Jules Sagers on Twitter, yep. which I now know is spelled S-E-E-G-E-R-S. So go and give Jules a follow. Uh, what would you predict then for the Sochi Grand Prix? Uh, podiums or a drama? Let's Let's have your prediction. Um... I predict Ferrari strategists asking the drivers what to do. <laughs> yeah. I predict at least one red flag because of um a big crash in the in the massive left hander. Yep. And I let's let's um uh, let's be friendly towards Max Fosey. 
I think Max Verstappen is going to win this race to come back from a double de- DNF. Oh, a Max Verstappen win. I am, I'm actually going to predict that the, the cooler temperatures mean that uh, the, uh, Mercedes will have a bit more of an advantage. So we'll have uh, the Mercedes teams all lined up at the front. Um, but, but that, but Bottas will underwhelm having such struggled early for tyre deg. That's a bold prediction, isn't it, for me, Matt? I don't know where I've got that from. That's what I'm going to do. A, a weak start due to increased tyre deg shortening his first stint. I'm a genius if I don't that comes know. off. Spanners goes out on a limb, <laughs> predicts Hamilton victory at Russia. Yeah. Yeah, that's that. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. No. Uh, Matt no, Trumpets I, I, at Matt P. This is the bit where I do the all your plugs and stuff. Yeah, no, no, yeah, I like... Plug. Yeah, like yeah. I like to slip it in so people don't Go even. Ahead. I won't interrupt you. Don't so worry. Go people ahead. don't even know that you're you. doing it on yep. purpose. Won't interrupt you. I know you're doing it on purpose. I'm going to edit it so it sounds like you weren't interrupting me. At Matt PT55 and his wife at A Weaver writes. That's how they make money by writing mucky books. To go check out Amanda's books, they're good. I don't know. I haven't read the map because I would be too embarrassed. I would every time it like described love making. I would just giggle and put the book down and get all embarrassed. <laughs> Naughty. <laughs> uh, right, sorry. Predictions. Uh, at A. Weaver writes, at Matt PT 55 what's your prediction for Sochi? We have been so close for so long, but I see a track with low tire wear and a Renault, and I think it might just be time to make Steve Amy's day uh, and say that Ricardo, and I don't know how, because obviously several drivers will have to be cleared out of the way. Jules covered that. But it might just be time to see that Ricardo podium come true. Wow. What do you reckon? What do you reckon, Steve? Well, Steve, you don't do social media because you're like, ah, mate, social media, if I want to speak to someone, I'll just go over to their farm and like that. That's how you sound. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Hello to our Australian listeners. Uh, A prediction then from you, Ricardo podium. That's what Matt says. Oh, well, I I would love to think that that is going to happen, <laughs> and there is a bit of a chance. I think that the circuit will suit Renault a little. Um, I, I think you're right, Spanners, in that Mercedes will ultimately win this, but I don't agree that you're right that Bottas will fail. He has quite some track record here, so yeah. I think that he will actually do reasonably well at this track. Now, um, and I think Jules has a point. I think Max is going to come out with, you know, the bit between his teeth. He's had two really bad races and he wants to stand up and say, hey, listen, you know, I'm still in this. So he's, yeah. he and both the, and the team are going to be trying twice as hard to make a good, you know, to give us a good race this this week. So I think that it's going to be a Mercedes that wins. I think it could actually be Bottas and he's yeah. going to give Hamilton a run for his money. And I think... If the gods are willing, then there'll be a yellow <laughs> racing suit standing on the third po- on the third step of the podium. Yeah, we're all wishing Ocon the best. But uh, Matt, Steve's uh, made a really good point there, <laughs> which is, you know, I, it's the opposite of what I said with him struggling with the tyre wear. We've seen him go well where tyres have been less of an issue. Uh, and yeah, we're sort of forgetting that. He does generally do better on, on these, these, lower, these lower deg tracks. It takes away his Achilles heel, as it were, or his biggest weakness mm. relative to, to Hamilton. The the cooler temperatures, lower degradation, it allows him to, it evens him up in the other areas. Okay, cool. Well, we've got one little award, um, and that is comment of the week. I'm going to jab a button. I'm not, I'm not absolutely certain, but since I've been told off for making mistakes, let's hope it's okay. Comment yes, I've got one thing right this week. We just relax too much on new shows. 
get 70s racing drivers wrong, crash every single bumper, and get the driver's table wrong. Uh, but you know who's never wrong? Chat room. The chat room that comes and finds us on YouTube and subscribes to us by searching Missed Apex Podcast on YouTube. They probably subscribe to our Twitter feed, Matt, at Missed Apex 50. No, not 50. That's you. <laughs> at Missed Apex F1. They subscribe to us on Twitter, and that's how they know when the streams are. No more naps for you. <laughs> no, no, no more midday naps for me. Oh, my gosh. I promise. Next race review, I'm going to come back here tired and soaked in rum. And then I'll be much more on the ball. I promise. Uh, I don't even know what bit we're doing. Comment of the week, Matt. That is the award. And and those people that find us on Twitter, they soon learn that the very best way to keep their finger on the pulse of all things Missed Apex is to come and join us on our Patreon Slack group and enjoy our patron-only live streams that we've been doing on Fridays before a race, which have been really, really cool fun, where people can call in on uh, and, and listen to us and then join the Zoom call as well which has been great fun. And you can do that by going to patreon.com forward slash missed apex and keep the lights on in the shed. But Matt, who is the winner of coming at the week? Oh, so I'm not supposed to read any contenders just to give you the winner. Look, you can't blame me for trying. I thought I could fool you into going straight to the winner, but uh, Jules uh, will be our, our judge and he will announce the winner. So give us the contenders then. Uh, Darren Johnston. Kamoa is a middle-class race substitute. Kamoa. <laughs> oh, uh, guys, yeah. Um, I know you're like really want your cheesy chips, but I'm having this Kamoa uh, salad and it's really been helping with my Pilates. Yes, you're right. Michael Eastelhoff. Renault's F1 driving force was gone with the wind, wasn't it? Would explain the push to Alpine. Puns can't win, but thank you. I hammer. Haas tried clearing the snow with a grow plow. Leave Grosjean alone! Leave Grosjean alone! Lydia Cruz is in with spandemonium over there regarding our recent breakdown in, uh... What, on the internet? Well, just our, our recent breakdown in the show. What? I got made, like, four mistakes. The show's been going for, like, nearly a strict hour. Leave me alone. You try podcasting sober. It's ridiculous. Okay, maybe I should have gone with just a mic check from her instead. Oh, fine, James Hunt. I'm not going to live that down, am I? Getting James Hunt's name's yeah. wrong, name wrong. Uh, Stuart, oh well. Stuart Neal is in with the statement with spanners in a red onesie, and that is enough for anyone. The patrons bought me a Ferrari onesie, and I have only shared it uh, with our patrons on the patron live stream. Oh, no, that's not true. I also have it on my Instagram. Head over and find spanners ready on Instagram if you want to see me spread out on a bed. Wearing a uh, a red Ferrari type onesie. And finally, we have Ewan with no, it's an F1 podcast. Also, lobster racing. Lobster racing. And they're off. The red one's in the lead, followed by the red one. And then the red one. Jules, have you heard enough? Can you give us a winner? I I, I like buns. And I think the, <laughs> the Grosjean one was pretty, uh, had some depth in it as well. So, uh, no, I mean the, the, the Gozen, the, the, the Gozen, yeah. Gozen one had some depth. So let's go for that one. Go on then. I'll no, spare right. you Spanners because I actually think the one that, that rubbed it a bit more into your face uh, was also good. But let's go for the, the Gozen Renault one. Matt, repute civil play. Perfect. Congratulations to Michael Diestelhoff. Renault's F1 driving force was going with the wind, wasn't it? Would explain the push to Alpine. Coming up the week.
Thank you very much for joining us. Go and follow my panel, please. Matt Trumpet, Steve Amy, and Jules Sagas on all their social media platforms. Until we see you again, work hard, be kind, and have fun. This was Missed Apex. Uh, they weren't mistakes. They were learning experiences. We've identified... Opportunities. Life. Those were opportunities <laughs> for improvement. And in fact, I, I was thinking this earlier. Are we the only podcast of note? I'm going to say that we're of note. Are we the only podcast of note in F1 world that does it live and just puts that content out? Like that does it with a live chat and everything like that? I can't think of another one. Yeah. I don't know. Not, I'm talking podcast. I'm sure there's the odd um, and there's the odd YouTube stream that goes on. But I think what we do here is actually it's it's overly complicated. And I I wouldn't. I don't think anyone should do this, Steve. I think the way we do this, we've done it because I've been too ignorant to understand the things I shouldn't do and have just done stuff. And then people like you have jumped on and gone, "Oh, look, what are you doing? If you're gonna do it, do it properly. Ah, oh, God's sake, I'll do it myself." And that is how, that's the only reason the website is good is because Felix from Sweden looked at the website and he's like, what are you doing? And I'm like, I don't know how to do websites. Well, that's true. But then you, you've brought together a team of supposed experts <laughs> um, to, and, and we can do some of that stuff. Well, we like to, you know, live in a deluded world that we can do some of that stuff. That's basically, I was too stupid to know what I couldn't do. And then all of you came and rescued me. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.